Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That is right. That money offers us the opportunity to be able to afford the intangible aspects of what makes us happy or that brings joy in our life. We can talk about money can help me buy a home, a car, clothing, and etc. Those are the tangible parts of what money can do. For instance, housing represents safety and security. So if you're able to have more money and you can utilize that tool, you can then improve the housing situation that you're in. And not only are you going to have the tangible, you get the intangible effects of that money as a tool where you're going to feel safer because now you live in a safer environment. You're going to feel happier because you're closer to the parks if you enjoy walking or you're closer to family and friends. I push back because I hear a lot of people tell me, oh yeah, money can't buy happiness. I'm like, well, what do you want out of life that will bring happiness? And they'll say, oh, I want more options. I want more time with my family and my friends. Let me show you how money can buy those things and can buy you the options or buy back your time so you can spend with your family and friends. And that's also part of that mindset shift. We have to understand that money is a tool to help us create blank. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. 
I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Jason, so excited to have you here on the show again. You're a repeat guest, and I love the unique angle that you have when it comes to talking about money because it's not just about like the numbers and the spreadsheets and blah, blah, blah. You're really taking like a holistic approach to this whole conversation. And so I want folks to definitely tune into the original episode, which we're going to link in the episode show notes if you want to hear Jason's origin story. But today we're going to talk about this incredible new project that you have been working on, your second book. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And I think you can relate writing a book takes a tremendous amount of effort and time. And so getting my second book out there, it's a labor of love. And so the opportunity to share this project with you and everyone listening is awesome because it's a lot of work and I want people to read it. And I think <laughs> it's a book that I fell in love with writing. Mm. And I poured in my heart and soul, my experiences, along with 12 others oh. who kind of, you get an idea of the premise of the book is that I'm telling you that money can buy happiness when you spend on wellness. And when I say spending on wellness, it doesn't mean you're buying a ton of candles or you're going <laughs> to massages <laughs> <laughs> and spas. I love those things, right? Yeah. Those are great ways for us to set the stage and cope with daily stresses of life. But my focus is getting people to shift their relationship with money, as you mentioned, so we create a better long-term path to living our healthiest, wealthiest, and happiest life. So that's why I wrote this book, Happy Money, Happy Life, a multi-dimensional approach to health, wealth, and financial freedom. I packed it all in there. And like you said, I'm not the person who talks about budgets and credit scores and investment strategies. I certainly can because I do have the experience and I weave that into the conversation because those are essential tactics. But for me personally, and if you listen to the first episode, you know some of my personal financial challenges 
cultural issues, family situations that affect their relationship with money. And I think I wanted to do a better job with this book to make the connection because a lot of people who are facing financial stress, they tend to think it's because of one particular situation and it could be many factors. It could be your mental or your emotional, your physical, your social, environmental. And that's what the book talks about, the eight dimensions, as I mentioned. And they are, and I'll repeat, it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, social, occupational, environmental, and financial. And I talk about money and how it weaves itself into these dimensions. And when you think about these dimensions, they're overlapping, they're intersectional, they're connected in a way that they affect one another. So Mm -hmm. if you are suffering in one part of your wellness, it's going to start trickling in and affecting other parts. And so when I talk about my financial situation, when I had credit card debt, student loan debt, and I was really suffering from a lot of financial issues, yeah, that caused me a lot of mental distress. And we could talk about mental health, but studies have shown and I've learned, and I think we all know this intuitively, when we're suffering mental health issues not related to money, well, eventually they're going to affect how we spend our money. Yep. And and so for me, I wrote in the book and I was like, I don't know which came first, my financial stress or my mental mm, issues. And mm-hmm. because they're interchangeable at that point. And then unraveling that is really hard work. And so you can take all the budgeting courses, you can take all the credit score improvement courses, and then you improve then all of a sudden you find yourself back to that situation and you're going, okay, well, you know what? I'm just bad with money. I can't help it. Then eventually you have to come to face that there's some underlying issue. And that's what I learned. And I learned that through the process. I think in our first conversation, I talked a lot about our cultural influences, our family dynamics. Well, there's a lot of trauma when it comes to those things. (laughs) And that trauma affects our relationship with money. Just because we've had some financial traumas or even just family issues in the past, those things just don't stay in the past. There are things that still continuously happen. And for me, I got to this point where I'm no longer ashamed. I don't feel any guilt. I'm not embarrassed for the fact that I was a high-functioning mess. And I've accepted that. And going through the work of realizing and unraveling that mess has allowed me to achieve financial security in a way that I can live my dream life. And, and, you know, we're friends and you see me travel to exotic locations and I pick and choose the work that I do. And I focus specifically on this type of wellness combos because I think it's, it's vital and essential and ever changing. Yeah. I love everything about what you just said. I think the thing that I love most is This super unique perspective that you bring to the conversation around money, because I feel like a lot of the traditional mainstream media shames and guilts people into compliance. You know, it's like if you're in debt, it's because you're stupid or you're just like a bad person. Right. And it's just like there's no consideration to all of the external factors that are playing into 
how you show up in the world, whether that's like you dealing with imposter syndrome and not advocating for yourself at work because you're afraid somebody's going to find you out, or you're dealing with scarcity trauma from growing up on food stamps as a kid. And that's why you'll just take any salary and you won't advocate for yourself at work, or you'll tolerate a toxic boss because you had a toxic parents, right? So it just feels very familiar. And I think it's just really ignorant. And it's about time that that narrative gets shut down because how your money shows up is directly related to your state of being as a human. Yes, yes, it really is. And I think too, there's a lot of people that still continue to talk about shaming and embarrassing you and saying you're just a bad person. That's why you're bad with money. And the fact that you talk about this too, and you share, you're very vulnerable in sharing what's happening in your life and letting people understand that we all are multifaceted, multi-layered, multi-dimensional. You might see our highlights because a lot of the times I know I do this. I post my highlights just to give myself a boost. And it's not to show off that I'm in Egypt or Israel. It's also for me as a reminder that it's been a journey to get here. Yeah. And I do share those ups and downs, those moments, but all in a way for people to understand that if you're wondering why you can't achieve these specific life or financial milestones, it's because of these multi-dimensions that make you, you. And when we talk about emotions, and I want to talk about this a bit, because when we are facing emotional upheaval because of work situations, family, relationships, the environment, or just stuff that we're hearing and seeing in social media and the news, those things are affecting our body, our being, because now we're responding emotionally to the situation in that environment. And so it's important for us, and I talk about this in the book, that a way for us is increasing our emotional intelligence. It's not about suppressing the negative emotions. It's not about saying these things don't exist. It's about assessing what is happening, really acknowledging the emotion, managing how you'll respond with the emotion. But I think currently what's been happening is that there's this like, oh, okay, suppress it, keep going, keep going. And if we don't address our emotional health and we continue to suppress all these emotions, these negative emotions, sadness, et cetera, well, guess what? That takes a mental toll. And that's where we end up with mental health issues. And mental health issues are diagnosable and they trace back to kind of this emotional inability to express ourselves. And then we think about, well, okay, well, the emotional piece I already talked about, it's relationship. That is the social aspect of your well-being. I talked about work. That's the occupational aspect of your well-being. And again, you're seeing these layers and it's important for us. And I want people to feel better to know that why it's difficult to get to where they want to is because there's so many factors that play a role. But also I posit that once you're aware of the dimensions that make you whole, you then get an opportunity to address the weakest parts because you're able to see your most strongest elements. So for me, when I was suffering from financial distress and it was affecting my mental health and I was unable to communicate my emotions because we're taught don't communicate your emotions right. as a man. It's all just as a kid, like, shut up, stop shut talking. Up. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, anger was the only thing that I could express. Yeah. And so 
that informed the way I am. And so I did suppress a ton of emotions and that ripple effect everywhere. Then I realized, okay, I was withdrawing from family and friends. That was one of my key areas of strength. That is social well-being. And instead of doing that, I leaned in. And I started talking about the financial mess. I started talking about my mental distress with them. And they started providing me resources and just giving me the time and space and grace to share my troubles. I didn't believe they were going to solve them for me. But just to alleviate some of that suffering allowed me to be able to confront with more strengths those areas that were suffering. And again, too, it's just me being more aware that it's not one specific thing, it's multiple things. And we can address one area without being overwhelmed with the others. Yeah. I wonder what you have to say to people who are like, Jason, it sounds like such a privileged thing to be able to address like my mental and emotional health. (laughs) I'm just out here trying to survive. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'd love to afford a therapist, but I can't do this shit right now. I'm with you. It's overwhelming. (laughs) And the reason why I wrote this book, it's because it's the book I wanted to write after you only live once, but they told me there was no market for mental health, emotional well-being and money. And after everything that we've experienced through the pandemic, the quarantine, people more actively talking about their issues, not specifically related to money, but their mental health challenges. They came back to me and said, Jason, remember that book you wanted to write? There's a demand for it. I think you're the perfect person to write this book. And I wrote this book in the place of sharing exactly what you described. I didn't have it all together. There was a point where I was kicked out of my house and I lived in the car for two weeks. So technically, and I'm laughing as I'm talking about this because, again, it's part of my process of unloading and lifting myself up away from the shame, living in my car and then bouncing around from friends' couches. That's something I never shared with people because I was so ashamed that I got to the point in the relationship with my folks being kicked out and then feeling afraid that I couldn't even reach out to people and then going, okay, I'm going to live in the car for two weeks and shower at the gym. And so what I want people to understand as well is that it may sound that I am in a privileged place because I've gotten my finances in a specific way. I have improved my network, but we all start someplace and that's the key. And if we're talking about mental barriers the solution to getting over mental barriers is really adopting a growth mindset. And you talk about this a lot when people believe the only income that they can make is from a W-2 or a, an employer. And there's certainly many more ways to do that. And that really starts with unraveling the things that are making you think that you can't get out of your situation. Mm-hmm. And once you do you're able to then look at the resources that's available and take advantage of them. And so when someone goes to me and say, well, I can't leave the job because I have bills to pay. I'm not here telling you, you should quit your job. I'm here saying (laughs) I am (laughs) (laughs) no, but you're right. And I'm going to tell you how you can quit your job. It's exactly what you share. You need to start creating other sources of income. And once you can cover your basic needs with your other sources of income, then you can go and say, or fire your boss, fire your job and jump into more purposeful work. And that is what I call in my book, happy work. And so for me, I think for us addressing those issues, 
that's causing you to have that mindset because that is one of the hardest thing to do. And most of the time when people are telling me they're mentally distressed, they don't know why I go through the eight dimensions. And then we find out that stress is the culprit at work mm. because they hate their job. They hate their boss. They hate their coworkers, but they need that money. Mm. And so there's a process of going, how can you detach from work? Do the minimum without putting you on the radar of disciplinary action in the same time, allowing you to work on the side hustles, allowing you to work on the side gigs to earn extra income. Or someone will tell me, oh, I'm mentally distressed. I, I don't know what the issues are. And then they start talking to me about their relationship and I go, <laughs> okay, well, that is an area that's causing the distress. And if you are having issues with your relationship, you're going to start coping and that coping might be overworking yep. or overspending. Now, again, we're beginning to affect all these other dimensions. And that's why it's important to understand that mental distress is going to be caused by something else within these dimensions. And once you understand that, you can then hone in your effort into changing your situation. And by changing your situation, you're actually improving your mind, your body, and then you're able to make better decisions. I think it's important for us to continue to have these discussions and say we're so multi-layered that we don't really know where to start. And it's just a matter of figuring out where and tackling it from that point of view. Yeah. I think that's a great follow-up question. Like, how do you decide what area to prioritize first? Knowing that there's like so many different aspects of what it means to be like that word wellness. It's almost just like the idea of tackling eight aspects of my life at once just feels like I don't want to do any of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And so in this book titled Happy Money, Happy Life, you can get from the title that I'm using money as the approach mm. to help us. And I think you shared videos and a tweet about becoming financially independent where you're no longer dependent on relationships or even a specific work to fund your lifestyle. And so for me, that is the premise of the book, helping people understand the relationship with money, helping them get better with money, strengthen the financial dimension. So this way it will have a ripple effect in other parts of your life. Mm. And so I could have certainly tackled this book differently. And what I did was there are eight chapters addressing each of these dimensions through the lens of money. So for instance, you might be stressed at work. You want to quit your job. What people tend to do is use their paycheck and buy an expensive vehicle to make up for the fact that they hate their work. <laughs> and what happens now they're trapped at that job because they have a minimum monthly payment to pay that auto loan. A better way to address that situation, once you realize and accept the fact that the work is not aligned with you, is to buy yourself out of that job by saving money to buy hours of your time back. And that's the best ways to work on your occupational well-being, which I call happy work. The same thing with social wellness. If we're looking at our relationships or, or the issues well, what can we do to create a nest egg to free ourselves from the financial entanglement that we have with our partners? And once you do, you start becoming more mindful in how we're spending. So we're no longer spending to cope. 
we're spending with a strategy to improve these other areas. And I can go on too in terms of happy space, which is environmental well-being. The places we physically inhabit affect our well-being. And so if you're living in a place that's cluttered, if you're living in an environment that's not safe or in a community that doesn't align with you, doesn't offer you the resources that you need, well, do you know that affects you mentally and emotionally and then eventually physically because it manifests itself physical ailments? But also it's going to start affecting your finances because you're going to go, I can't find the tool that I need. And you end up shopping for the same tool you've already have, or I don't like the environment I'm in, and now you're spending just to get out of it. Then when you take a step back, you realize I don't have the money to do what I want to do was escape my situation. But when you look at the dimensions, you look at it in those different areas, we can then focus our effort to utilize our money as a tool to repair, improve, and help out those other dimensions. Yeah. It's insightful how much money can play into this idea of happiness when we've often been told you can't buy it, right? And it's just like, (laughs) when I really think about the things that money gives us, they are somewhat intangible. Like this idea of security, of the ability to rest, the ability to opt out of things that don't feel aligned. It's options. That can be anything to anybody So this idea that like the pursuit of money is somehow just like kind of frivolous and superficial, y'all don't really understand the power of being able to opt out of anything and everything that aggravates your life because you have money. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. 
thing. That is right. That money offers us the opportunity to be able to afford the intangible aspects of what makes us happy or that brings joy in our life. We can talk about money can help me buy a home, a car, clothing, and et cetera. Those are the tangible parts of what money can do. For instance, housing represents safety and security. So if you're able to have more money and you can utilize that tool, you can then improve the housing situation that you're in. And not only are you going to have the tangible, you get the intangible effects of that money as a tool where you're going to feel safer because now you live in a safer environment. You're going to feel happier because you're closer to the parks if you enjoy walking or you're closer to family and friends. And so I think too, like I push back because I hear a lot of people tell me, oh yeah, money can't buy happiness. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want out of life that will bring happiness? And they'll say, oh, I want more options. Mm. I want more time with my family and my friends. Let me show you how money can buy those things and can buy you the options or buy back your time so you can spend with your family and friends. And that's also part of that mindset shift we've talked about before is that we have to understand that that money is a tool to help us create blank. And once we start thinking about it that way, like what life are we looking to create? Not what are we looking to purchase, but what life are we looking to create? And certainly when we're looking to create a life, that includes some purchases. It's just looking at money in a totally different way. And it's a way for you to stay motivated in the trials and tribulations of just living in this world, the things we can control and the things we can't control. Because we all know a lot of things we can't control. We can't control other people. We can't control the economy. We can't control the environment. And there's so many things, right? And that can be overwhelming. So we drill it back down and say, okay, what part of your life can you control? Mm -hmm. And don't give away that control. And money, having money, having the privilege of feeling secure because you have money is going to give you that sense of control to start building the life that you want. I love it. Let's talk to the first gen kids, you know, the Mm -hmm. children of immigrants. There's a lot of folks who listen to this show that are first generation wealth builders. And one recurring theme that I have found over and over and over again, so much so that I'm dedicating an entire chapter of my book to this, is this topic of being the one who made it out and the guilt that's associated with that struggle. Can you identify with that? And do you have any advice for people who are navigating that space? Yes. There's a lot of the pressure because there is a lot of cultural, societal, and family obligations that we are dealing with. And plus that we are dealing with a different culture, a different societal value growing up in America. So there are two things here. One, there's a conflict between how we grew up in America and how our parents grew up in their respective countries. Mm. And that's going to cause a lot of turmoil. How we view money is going to be vastly different from our folks. Also, how we feel we fit into the grander scheme of things. And so there's a lot of us first gen who feel like we need to show other people we've made it because (laughs) life is a struggle. And people don't understand that. And if you grow up in a household where English is a second language and you become the person who learns English and becomes the the translator and the person who is then advocating for your folks in this country, 
Well, that's a lot of responsibilities that other people don't have. Yeah. And the fact that for us, many of us have live in multi-generational households, we have multi-generational responsibilities that frankly, in America, society says, well, yeah, you ship off your parents to a facility and you focus on yourself. I mean, it's right. a strong individual focus. And so think about that. We grow up in that environment about individuality. And then we grow up in this environment of the importance of family and community. And so, yeah, there's a lot of mental things going on in there. So I definitely do relate and feeling the obligation to give back. I give back a lot. But then I realize if I give over what I actually have, and then I'm unable to give ever. And so for me, I think the problem that I faced was as I was climbing up the corporate ladder, one, as I mentioned, I had overspending because I wanted to show people, hey, against all odds, I made it. I'm going to prove to you I made it by these purchases, by these luxury cars, the places I live, the places I traveled that messed me up. And then I had the obligation to, okay, well, how can I help my family? And also, how can I help my family in the Philippines? Not only are you looking at helping the family here, you have the obligation to send money mm. to first, second degree cousins, because then there is that sense of guilt. Like I have all the opportunities here. They don't have the opportunities and it's part of the, again, that, that cultural thing that we have to give back and we have to support the community at large. Right. But I began pushing back a bit on that because if we can't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of anyone else. Yeah. So we really have to focus on one, understanding what it is that we need, what is it that we want and the type of life we want to create. And when we're on the path, to achieving those things, we can then are able to start helping others without guilt. And what that does, it ensures that you can help others for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. And the key thing here is that if you can help yourself, then you're not dependent on anyone else coming in to rescue you. That's true. That, that At the end of the day. And you cut and that cycle of being like generational burdens, right? Oh, yeah. Generational burden, all these things that we carry, and that does affect our quality of life and affects our financial situation. And the one thing I also want to point to is that for us, I think we have the benefit of communal living, of having large families and however functional or dysfunctional they may be, <laughs> we have that benefit. And we have that joy, like, right, when you're, when you might be facing a lot of distress, but then all of a sudden you're at a party and you know, in the Philippines, like they call it fiesta because we don't say F word, <laughs> like F is pronounced P, but you have those things where you can connect with family. And so that too is a strength and relating that back to the dimension and social well-being. And so, yeah, like I definitely relate. I know people are going through it, but my advice, focus on supporting the life that you want to live become the example for those family members and help when you are able to help yourself first. Mm, I love it. Okay. Let's talk about another topic that I have found is very common for us in the first gen community. This idea of you're always just waiting for the bottom to drop out. Personally, for me to know that I am my backup plan and not only am I my backup plan, but I'm also my parents' backup plan. And it definitely puts me in like hoarder mode sometimes with money and just like this endless 
pursuit of acquisition. So in your opinion, when is enough enough? Like, how do we know this? How can we get off the hamster wheel? Well, that is the biggest life question. It's answering when is enough enough. And that really depends on each individual's person's circumstances and also how it relates to your core values. One of the key things and one of the exercises I share is how do you identify your core value and ensuring that you align your goals to those core values. And most of us, what we do is we align our financial and life goals based on societal, cultural, or family idea of what success is. And so, yes, if our goals aren't aligned with what we truly value, it's never going to be enough. And we're always going to be at the rat race of saying, okay, well, what is next? I've made $100,000 in income. Now I want $200,000 and $300,000. And that idea of never enough is never going to give you peace of mind, never going to allow you to experience true joy and happiness. And so, yes, as a first gen, as I mentioned, we have this unwritten way of living that we need to show others we've made it. And because there is a misalignment, we tend to go, okay, well, that's not enough. I got that fancy job. I got the new car, but uh, Tito, he's just got a better car. And now I got to show up and say, hey, I'm in a better place. And And so it's, again, it's just having different types of conversations and then saying like, you are the backup plan for your folks. That's the same way I am. And I think it's very unique. I think this is talked about in American societies, like take care of yourself and your parents are all for themselves. I'm like, well, that's easier said than done because we can't live that way. And for me, my financial plan included my parents. Mm. And that's something that financial planners and advisors were telling me is like, Your parents are adults. They work. They have this. And I go, you don't understand. You don't understand that by me not including them in my plan, it's just going to cause mental distress. Yeah, and it's going to sabotage your own plan anyway because you already know that this is going to need to happen. So it's it's, like, yeah, it's going to happen. Or you plan Well, yeah. And then we all know too, like our parents are going to say things and it's going to cause these, like visiting them, that that environment (laughs) that's stressful. And then now you're going to emotionally respond and, I'll respond with a very vigorous or what my parents say, very angry voice. And you know me, I'm very, very calm, but <laughs> there are buttons that that my parents know how to push to get me yelling. And part of that is our love language and communicating, but also knowing that that was part of the plan all along for me. It's like, yes, they can take care of themselves. And, and certainly with all the financial challenges, they went through bankruptcies and stuff like that. They are in a good, solid footing, but they still do need financial assistance. And I am the caregiver for my parents that have pre-existing medical conditions. And so going back to your enoughness question, I know my core values of family. I know my core values of travel and experiences. And so I allocate and spend my money on those things. And that helps me understand that, okay, well, I'm already doing things with my folks. What else can I do or need to do? And that gives me that peace of mind that, yes, I'm doing enough and I don't have that guilt. When I am traveling and I'm spending, because I love budget travel, but I also love luxury travel. Mm. You've done some luxurious travel. I I think it's important for people to do both. And I mix it around all the time. And part of me is like, I feel I have enough to be able to take time off and travel and explore. And again, that's just going through the process of knowing my core values, aligning my spending to do that. And also the financial planning of all the things that are important to me. Mm. 
we don't have enough of these conversations in the personal finance space where it's just really about getting hella introspective. There's like so much strategy and like go buy this index fund and like calculate <laughs> your fire number and 10% return on investment. And sometimes it's just like, can you think about the why? Really like start to think about why you want to do any of this stuff when it comes to money. Why do you want to pursue financial independence? Why do you want to start investing? Why do you want to quit your job? And I think it's like, it opens up a conversation for just like way more holistic planning versus mm -hmm. just hitting some arbitrary number on a spreadsheet. Yes. And I'd like to say the why starts with the last letter of that word, you. The reasons why you do something has to relate to you and understand it is not selfish to take care of you. And once you understand what makes you, you through these multi-dimensions, you're then going to be able to allocate those money and those resources and set financial goals that align to what makes you, you. And you're right. I hear it all the time about financial independence numbers. And certainly I had a financial independence number. I mean, those things are help us, right, on the yeah. financial calculation piece. But I think it's essential for us to understand the human component, the wellness component. I like to share this one story I wrote in the book where I had a couple who had a very aggressive financial independence number and goal. And as they were approaching that financial independence number, they decided to part ways. Oh. And they are a public couple. I promised their anonymity, but they are a public couple. And they probably have started sharing that they're no longer together. But what they shared with me was through the process in the last few years of achieving the financial number, they never took time to get to know each other through the process. Mm. So they didn't know who, who they were basically walking this journey with anymore. <laughs> they were just talking about cutting back, making more money, hitting this goal aggressively, and really not taking the time to say, okay, it is okay for us to go have a date to go away for a weekend. And that might set us back a month in our financial independence goal achievement. Yeah. And so that was one of the lessons to go, okay, yes, financial numbers are great, but we are more than our numbers and we are human beings and we have these desires and these wants and we need to be able to address those things at the present moment. We can't really push it aside, push it aside, push it aside. Yeah. And one other example, which I shared in the book as well, is that the social aspect. When people are talking about, oh, I want to get out of debt, I'm going to hustle to make that extra 100000 side income, or I'm going to reach that FI number, what do they do? They start cutting out friends, and they're like, I can't go to that wedding, I can't go away in that weekend, or I can't afford to go out and have drinks with my pals. I shared one story of one guy who he was actually really funny. And he said, oh, yeah, I would brag to my friends like, oh, I got no time for this. You don't understand that I am trying to break away from the system. I'm achieving this number. I can't afford to pay to go out for drinks. Mm. The pandemic happened. Mm. Things were closed. His friends weren't pestering him to go out. And he didn't have the privilege to say no. He realized after months of having no option that he would have gladly spent 
$20 or more to be out in the bar, having a drink, having some apps with his friends, because he realized that social health and well-being was vital and essential. And so his approach now includes it, the fact that, okay, yeah, I'm going to reach this fine number, have my income goals. I'm going to go away. If my friends are getting married, I'm going to go to that bachelor party. But you know what? I might still do it frugally, but I'm not going to opt out just so I could retire early, one month earlier, because nothing is guaranteed. And I think that's what I want people to understand. And yeah. also in the introduction, it's like nothing is guaranteed. And so how can you live well today while planning for a better tomorrow and finding out what helps you along that path? Yeah. Jason, I literally cannot wait to get my hands on this book. And I know people are going to want to find out so much more about it, pick up a copy, find out more about you. So tell us first off when the book comes out, where we can find it and where we can find you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I am one of your biggest fans and I'm so happy to call you a friend. And the fact that we connect in so many levels and the work that you do is so admirable. And the fact that you're going layers, deeper layers, and showing people what's happening in order to get them to where they are. And I think it's yeah. it's just really admirable. But with that said, the book is called, once again, Happy Money, Happy Life, A Multidimensional Approach to Health, Wealth, and Financial Freedom. I talk about the eight dimensions of wellness to help you understand how you can use money to buy happiness by spending on different aspects of yourself. In addition, you could buy this book. It's available February 1st everywhere. I recommend you supporting your local community. Bookstop, go bookshop.org is a great place to support your local bookstores. And if it's more convenient for you, of course, the big retailers, Amazon, Target, et cetera. So it is available everywhere. I do recommend pre-ordering or grabbing the copy as soon as possible. Publishers saying they're flying off the shelf or flying off the warehouse, which (laughs) is great. And so I do recommend getting a copy and I will be going on tour and I'll be going all across the country and would love to meet you in such an amazing place to have these conversations in person and also hear me recite some spoken word because my book has spoken word poem in there. Oh my gosh. How cool. Are we getting the audio version too? Yes, it'll be an audio version. And this is it. You're getting a money wellness book with me spitting out some spoken (laughs) word. And that again, too, because it brings me joy and happiness. And I ask you all, find me on social media. Instagram and Twitter is where I'm most active. And that's at Jason Vitug. Incredible. Who knew that we needed a personal finance book with spoken word? And I'm so here for it. You know, (laughs) poetry, money is poetry, y'all. And understanding the role that we play in creating our dream lives and how money plays into that is a conversation that I can have forever. So I'm so excited for you and this new book, Jason. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being a really unique voice in this space that invites us to approach money in such a holistic way. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.